Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with Goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and in the studio this week, I'm particularly excited because I am joined by Tony Cascarino. We also have James Scowcroft down the line, and also joining us in the studio, it's Rory K. Smith. In our debate this week, we'll be talking about the enormous sums of the Premier League TV deal, and maybe have that grassroots debate that the world is crying out for. But first, it's all about the FA Cup. All right, let's start at uh, the Emirates, Arsenal, Middlesbrough. Cass, I'm going to start with you. I, Middlesbrough are basically a Premier League team, sort of, almost there. And obviously, they did well in the last round. And I sort of thought maybe they would put up more of a fight, maybe Arsenal's style of play, whatever might suit them. But Arsenal pretty convincing. Yeah, and I think what was the surprise was that the way that Middlesbrough played against City away. And they looked, I mean, the lad Tomlin... You know, got in a few times and he put company on his backside and just caused all sorts of problems. And Borough looked a really dangerous side. And it was a real whimper of a performance in to some respects from me because Arsenal just controlled the game from start to finish, never had anything remotely close to being in a problem in the game. And two fullbacks who have not been playing came back in, looked comfortable, Gibbs, and never an issue. And I just, I just, I was surprised by Borough's lack of adventure. You got nothing to lose. You got, and I think what's been an incredible surprise this year with the FA Cup: so many teams, like we've seen with the Bradfords, have had a go. They've gone to the the bigger teams, or the elite sides in the league, and gone. Do you know what? We don't respect you that much. It's a cup competition. We don't really care for too many goals. Borough are trying to get promoted. Let's have a go at you now. And they didn't do that. At the Emirates. I know what you mean. I think that to an extent, it's to do with the early goal, isn't it? That against City, City didn't score. They looked a little bit flat. That was when City were, were kind of a little bit beneath themselves in terms of their performances generally. So we saw against Arsenal at the Etihad when City played when when City played Arsenal that they that was partly a great performance from Arsenal. It was partly a terrible one from City. I think it's the same. It was the same thing against Middlesbrough. They didn't get the goal. They got a bit nervy. They continued to be flat. Were scored and City didn't have an answer. Whereas Arsenal score early and it does kind of kill the game because ultimately Arsenal are a lot better than, Middle, than Middlesbrough. I agree though. It was a bit, bit odd that they seemed so inhibited. James, could, could could Middlesbrough have done better? Maybe I think so. I think if if you look at it, Middlesbrough are probably the best football inside outside the Premier League, and I think uh, it suited Arsenal really that the way Middlesbrough played. It was it was a well, it was supposed to be a proper game of football really, but like Roy said, the two early goals just killed Middlesbrough really. I think it kills their sort of spirit, their deflation as well. And 
I think possibly as well, maybe yesterday, getting to towards March now, that they are looking at the league and thinking that you know the cut run's good, but we've got a real, real chance here of getting in the Premier League. But just Mid- Middlesbrough couldn't impose themselves like they did with the ball going forward, like they did at Man City. About Arsenal, obviously Gabriel Silva arrived. They see these stories, including in our own paper, where it's all those. Oh no, he doesn't speak English. I'm assuming, where you share my scepticism about those, like, how are they possibly going to communicate? And I know Wenger raised the issue, but the dude's Portuguese, right? Mm, romance language, he's playing with a French dude and a German dude who speaks Italian quite well and per Mertesacker and whatnot. It really shouldn't be that difficult, right? He's Brazilian. What? He's Brazilian. I know, he speaks Portuguese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll just yeah, that's the point. They speak yes. Portuguese and... I'm aware of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not... Convinced he that's a massive Spanish issue. Too. I mean, was, he will speak Spanish. Yeah. yeah. The it was slightly odd, but, but it was to be fair, it was Vendor who brought it up. All right. When you moved to France, Cass, I'm assuming your French wasn't particularly good. I'm assuming you had teammates who couldn't speak the language. Hmm. Did it create all sorts of massive problems, or did you learn have your glossary of, of ten words that you needed to, to actually make no. calls and whatever? Um, did it cause me massive problems? No. I mean, obviously, English is spoken widely around the world and there was not players... Not really by the French, though, uh, no, and they speak it badly. And Marseille, there was quite a number of players who spoke English. Um, did it cause me problems? No. I think Is it a problem? Have you seen teammates who are like, oh, look, you know, I, I have no idea what people are saying at me and I'm so thick that after well, three I months a, I don't learn it. I was just saying, if you're dopey, yeah, it can cause... I mean, the lack of confusion uh, sometimes. I remember a couple of times with players looking at them thinking, you just don't get it. You don't understand what's happening. And uh, I remember... Speaking, I'm not going to mention his name, an English guy that came to Marseille, and I had to explain <laughs> everything. Been so many, so <laughs> many. This is really, this this is really you to know him. Out. You wouldn't be able to guess him. So anyway, uh, I wouldn't be able to guess him. No, hey, I I'll have a bet with you. You can't guess I'll him. I'll invite all the listeners to do some googling here, <laughs> and then hit me up on Twitter about who this mystery Englishman at Marseille. Well, is. anyway, so. You know that you're not of, talking about yourself in a circuitous no, way, are no, you? No, okay. I'm not. No, oh, but um, it also was your Irish too. I think it's football's quite easy to understand the basics of. You know, you can communicate even in another language about where you need to be or what what's your job is or your role. And no, I didn't find it a problem. I, I don't. I, I wonder whether it's Wenger using something not as an excuse, but just to kind of mitigate his performances or explain why he might be brought in quite slowly. There was probably something he did not want to talk about that day that he feared people would ask. Yes. And so he said, I'll go out and give people a line, right? Yeah. Because that's what journalists are taught to do, go look for the line. And I'll speak endlessly about language issues. Mm. And then that way they won't ask me about this thing that I don't want to talk about. And we still don't know what it is. That's probably quite true. Scoey, with, uh, uh, with, with this guy on board, with Santi Cazorla playing out of his skin, with Olivier Giroud looking, I think, really, really good, actually. Why did you say Santi Cazorla in a, in a faux Spanish accent, but not Olivier Giroud in a faux French one? Olivier Giroud? That's better. I can do that too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you look at them now, I would say Giroud's in front of Van Persie. Well, it's interesting, actually. I want to end this with on this segment. I want to give a quick whip round. Uh, last night, I, I was talking to former Player of the Year, Steve Nichol, and he was asked whether Olivier Giroud is one of the top five centre-forwards in the Premier League. He said no, but I struggled to come up with five ahead of him. So I'm going to ask our resident center forward expert, and you as well, Rory, and you too, Scoa. You played up front too sometimes. Can you name five center forwards who are, who are better than Olivier Giroud in uh-huh. the Premier League? Harry Kane's one. Who? Harry Kane. No, 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 I'm going to be serious now. No, I'm being serious. No, uh, I'd Harry go, Kane is better I think, I think Harry Kane as well is better. Okay, Harry, Harry Kane, yeah. Um, uh, Would you might take Aguero, go, possibly? I'd go, I'd go Aguero, Costa, definitely. I think Daniel yeah. Sturridge, and Wenfit is better than. Okay, that's Giroud. three. And Harry Kane, four. 
Rory, feel free to chime in if you can think of another I'm guy to, who's I, better I, than Giroud. Would I you take Ben TK? I mean, he's no. had a difficult year. I mean, I'm not no. asking the question. Yeah. I, don't, I, I don't think Harry Kane's better than, than Giroud either. Okay, but we're not reopening that can of worms. He could be. He could be, right. but I don't think he is at the moment. I, don't, I, I think he is. No, I, I agree. I think okay, but if, if, you, if you look at his game, if you, if you look at Giroud, you, tell, me, tell me something Giroud can do that Harry Kane can't. Well, Giroud's a lot more handsome than Harry Kane to begin with. He's more articulate. That, that should have been... Anybody else? Rooney? Rooney? You'd have to have Rooney in there. Yeah, I'd say Rooney as well. Rooney, the White Palais, of course. Right, moving on to Palace and Liverpool. I'm assuming most Liverpool fans, for obvious reasons, didn't want uh, quite pleased that Alan Pardew didn't put them out. But Palace took the lead a little bit against the run of play. And we've, we've mocked Rodgers for saying how wonderful Liverpool have played when, you know, sometimes it's stuff that only he could say. But, Rory, um, I thought Palace's goal was a bit fortuitous, and I thought Liverpool looked good even when they were behind. Yeah, it was. A, I was there. It was a. It was a curious game. I think the the goal, the Campbell goal, was very much a goal conceded by the old Liverpool. It looked like they were haunted by Selhurst Park, which, for those of us who like writing flowery match reports, was a just a dream come true. But they responded well. They actually played quite well in the first half. But they seemed to have like a. They refused to enter the box. So there was a there was one run by Markovic where he he skated right across the edge of the 18-yard box, but ref, actually refused to go into it and then shot wildly over. The second half it changes because Henderson plays that great ball in storage straws, and I think that that goal changed Liverpool's approach. They seemed a little bit more direct, not long ball, but they were a little bit more kind of purposeful in their play. Whereas beforehand it was all very pretty, but it was they weren't really landing a blow. I think what was significant about that game was that Liverpool didn't panic at one 0 down. There were about 10 minutes when Palace had a load of corners and loads of free kicks after the Lalana goal, and it looked like Liverpool might just wilt under the bombardment, and they didn't. And I think for Liverpool, that's probably quite important. They killed the game very effectively. OK, so what Rory just said is, obviously, after Mario Balotelli came on, they became much more incisive and scored the two goals. Cass, did, did you note this greater mental strength in Liverpool? This, uh... I think there's a belief. I think they're, 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 their fantastic movement and interchange of play is incredible. When Liverpool get it right, they really do look good. I think that, you know, when you see Lalana, Coutinho, and then you'll see Sturridge's movement, and like, say, for Henderson, the goal, what a great goal it was. They, they really do, when they go forward, they go with real a determination to cause problems, and I think they do it brilliantly. And I think the biggest strength of uh, Brendan Rodgers' team is what we saw, and we see them do it when they lost to Old Trafford, that they can cause teams lots and lots of problems from many different positions. I still think they struggle a bit to, to break down a team who is intent on sort of defending their 18-yard box. I think they, they struggle a bit with that. And I think it's partly because they don't have many players who opposition teams would look at and think, if he hits one from 25 yards, yeah. he's going to score. You say, you say that, Roy, but when they played Chelsea, in the, I know they didn't score, and, and they played them in the two-legged uh, League Cup semi-final, but they did cause Chelsea an enormous amount of problems over them two games, where Chelsea were content of making it difficult for knowing the dangers that Liverpool pose for you. Well, I've watched them, and when they're good, they can be really, really good Liverpool. Do you know what stood out for me? Is how many players had the wrong footwear on? The amount of players that slipped on the yeah, ga- in the I game. Think, I think it was the pitch. Not the pitch. Pitch. He was well prepared. I just thought it was amazing how many players slipped, especially from a Liverpool viewpoint. Sturridge changed his boots at least once and spent mm. at least 10 minutes tying his shoelaces. Um, I think that's the problem with the Palace pitch. Palace have had terrible problems with their pitch this season. Mm. Um, spent a lot of money and I think they're going to have to spend even more money to get it done again, apparently. Scotty, what do you make of Palace overall? Did you feel like maybe they were... They had an eye on their league situation a little bit? No, not really. I just think it was a bad day at the office. I think what, you know, as I speaking to, um, you know, got some good contacts at Palace and, you know, they're all delighted how things are going at the moment and Alan Pardew's come in and given it a bit of fresh air. But I think what 
Crystal Palace got to realise is two years ago they're, they're, they're playing in the Championship against Barnsley's and you, you, this, that and the other. So they're still new to all of this. And I think Alan Pardew's come in and said, oh, I want to change it around a bit. I want to see, you know, see us more attacking, more flair. But Crystal Palace have got to where they've got to, being very, very hard to break down, very hard to play against, defensively very, very good, and ca- uh, catching teams on the counter-attack. And I just think maybe they're just starting to tweak how they're playing. They've got to be careful they don't get... Uh, can't, catch a goal because I just I never thought they were in the game I thought they, they scored early on probably scored too too early but I thought Liverpool totally dominated it on Saturday but I, I've got to admit I agree with James that I think there's a danger that it probably does need to change long term if Palace want to be a kind of mid-table mainstay of the Premier League they probably do need to develop a slightly more expansive style on occasion but I don't think the time to do that is now they are only five points off the bottom three as Stoey says, they have their strength. They are good at soaking up pressure and being difficult to break down. That's what Pulis and and Warnock, to a lesser extent, gave them. It's not what they had under Holloway, and it's the reason why why Holloway eventually left is that he couldn't make the side difficult to break down. I Sorry, don't think now. Quick, is quick rule of thumb here. Then we mean Scotty talked about what got them there. Would it is this a gross overgeneralization to say that you need Holloway? You're better off with Holloway type football. To get up. No, he, but then he, once he and Holloway tried to play expansive football, Gab. I think he, he, he said, I've studied Barcelona and this is the way to play. And this, that, right, and, and that's which, what got them to the Premier League, right? Yeah. But, you, you, but then you to know, stay, Chris, maybe Crystal need to Palace, transition. Crystal Palace are a team that are very well managed by the owners. They're never going to overspend. They're never going to elaborate. Sorry, did you say they're a team very well managed by the owner? The club is very well managed by the owner. Sorry, Ian Moody, yeah? No, no, no. He's gone now, Gab. You know that. Well, I know, but he hired him, right? He did, but and he hired he, Tony Pulis, who then walked out on the eve of the season, leaving him a big bill. Yeah, was that his fault? Well, I don't know, but if I hire somebody who's going to do that, then I would question my own ability well, to well, make well, good well, decisions. Well, he hired somebody at the time that the club was almost doomed and relegated, and he hired somebody that nobody else would take a chance on, and he did, and he got it absolutely spot on. <laughs> Just, I mean, whatever. We we've been through this before. I I, I think that. The, the the fact that the, the the managerial choices that they've made and obviously Pulis worked out and that's down to Pulis but when you go from Holloway to Pulis and then you can't get along with the guy and so the guy the, the guy leaves in those circumstances whoever was right or wrong even if you can say it's all Pulis's fault he's a bad bald man with a hat and whatever you hired this dude you brought him into your house and then he goes and then you got this this Ian Moody nonsense you go from that to Warnock and then you get rid of Warnock. I mean, you know, when you talk about this is all in the space of two years, but I, I think but if Parrish were somebody else's employee, you, 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 know, you would probably look at this a bit differently. Yeah. Well, I see it as I'm still looking at players in the premiership and still five points clear of relegation. They're not like a club that has gone in free fall. So, yeah, sometimes you lose people along the way. That's, that's football. And it might, not, it might right. seem a strange decision at the time, but... I don't see Palace in a bad position as a club myself. I think what Stroey was referring to, and he's, he's big enough to speak for himself, is that, that financially they are not going to imperil their future to stay in the Premier League. You know, if you look at it, they're not going to be, they're always going to be a team that's going to be hmm. in that bottom 10, that bottom 12, and fighting to get away from it. And, and they are where they want to be, really. That's five points, six points from safety, and they hope to be there in April come May. That, that's what they will take. Hmm. So all of a sudden come in and say we're going to play this expansive style of football and I think it's a very very dangerous tactic that could go horribly wrong because if all of a sudden you lose that defensive priority and, and style that you've got and you, you, you start leaking goals you've got players that can't score goals it's a recipe for right, but uh, hang on though, this is another example that I'm talking about right Alan Pardew is not an uber defensive coach 
Do, do we agree with that? No, but his, his right. no, no, hang on a second. Let me, let me finish my point. Right? He's not an uber defensive coach. So if you, I presume when they hired him, they spoke to him and they said, hey, Pards, how do you want to play? How do you see us developing? What's your philosophy going to be? And I presume he didn't go and lie to them. He said, well, I'm, I'm going to make us more expansive. I know you made a face there too for obvious reasons, but I, I'm going to make us more expansive and over time, blah, blah, blah. And I don't think it's sustainable to soak up pressure and all this stuff he said before. So that being the case, they, they, they can't really complain if this is what Parju does, given that he's only been there two months. No, no, you can see the appeal of that, but I just I just wonder whether now is the time. I think it, over the summer when you can bring in a different type of players, Palace's players are set up and are used to and are suited to doing a certain type of thing, and possibly there is a there is a, a case to be made for, for changing that in the long term for various reasons, uh, not least because it's better to watch. And I would, I would worry if Pardew was intent on having some sort of major stylistic change in the next three or four months. But what should be said for Pardew is that although he isn't an uber defensive coach and that's not what we associate with him, his teams are always quite well organised. Oh, no question about that. His Newcastle team weren't, weren't the, the, even when things were bad, they weren't kind of sort of sloppy defensively. They're no, well, no, they're well no, set no, up. No, nobody's suggesting that. Yeah. Nobody's suggesting that. All right, uh, enough Palace and London bias here. Let's uh, go with, let's, let's go to your old club, Villa. Well, it's one of your many old clubs. <laughs> mm. They have a new manager <laughs> yeah. who doesn't actually didn't actually officiate the or didn't actually take no. charge at the weekend, but they played Leicester. I, I thought Leicester might might trip them up, but no. Mission Cer- accomplished. Certainly first of all we might five minutes. It looked like Leicester were gonna trip them up. Villa looked like the Lambert side that just sort of come along and I mean I I was very critical of Paul Lambert and the way that they played and, you know, numbers in the box, bodies in areas to cause problems. Midfield runners making runs to get in the 18-yard box. Fullbacks being more adventurous sometimes to create problems and and having a centre-forward that was, a you know, not so long ago, one of the best around in Benteke, who looks like he's isolated in every opportunity during a game. There had to be an impact from Sherwood because it was quite clear from the second half that people decided to leave positions they were playing. Because one thing that Villa have done, I mean, it's a pretty amazing record not to have a midfielder get a goal. I mean, whatever you do in football, you do all your coaching badges and you're asked to, you know, how you set up a team. Your team have to be able to get goals from more than one position, which Lambert's team couldn't. It was quite clear second half that Villa's intent to be more aggressive in the way they played paid off with them eventually winning well, the game. Scoey, I, I, you've been there like Cass. The the sort of the the narrative that uh, I watched match of the day last night that, that came through was that as as Cass said, they were perhaps somewhat more timid and conservative in the first half. In the second half, Tim Sherwood uh, visits the dressing room. Hank Shea Given talked about this. He told them to have a go. And then they come out flying, there's the Kieran Clark tackle, and all of a sudden everybody's galvanized, and they win. Is it is it that simple? I mean, when you're on the pitch, did, did, did you, would you respond to situations like that? You can do. I, th- I think when a new manager comes in, it does. You have this honeymoon period, don't you? All of a sudden the crowd are, you know, buoyant. You know the slates wipe wipe clean, as they say, and it, and it does inspire. You get out of this negativity that I think Paul Lambert had been in uh, created around the club. I, I feel a little bit sorry for Paul Lambert because realistically, if you look at the budget he was working with, there's only so much you can do with that. Really, oh, Scully, sorry, I have to jump in here because Cass, who you can't see, rolled his eyes at you. I can't so buy it. I want to get this head to head now, Scully. James, Cass, I can't buy the budget that Villa have. Villa have you know have paid high wages, obviously for a number of years. They've had players come in. I uh, can't under... James, James, under... He spent five million in the summer. It still doesn't take away from the way you set up your football 
football team. Paul Lambert had set up his team to be the most boring in the league and never ever commit bodies to get into dangerous areas. Now, I don't care if you'd spent one penny. You, As a coach, you should be entitled to make a team score goals. You should be enable your side to be, create problems for the opposition. And for me, it doesn't cost a penny to do that. You can do that like Bradford did yesterday or, or like Bradford did against Chelsea. You can create a team, even with minimal wages and no um, financial backing from the owner to still cause teams problems because I I don't I can't buy that I've seen many a team uh, in football that haven't got the finances to do things but will play in a manner that will get goals yeah but we're going back to the point we've made about Crystal Palace aren't we and that's it's great scoring three, two or three goals every week but if you're going to let in four or five you're not going to get very well and then all of a sudden confidence starts draining you know, it's an argument. When he was at Norwich, his sides were exceptionally minded. Uh, well, he, he was employed by Villa for the way that Norwich played. You know, and the the way he attempted because the Norwich manager under Lambert was the one that I always felt. I tell you what, he seems really cause you problems. Mm. I didn't see that at Villa, and I haven't seen it for eighteen months to nearly two years. Sorry, Roy. Notice how you and I kind of stayed quiet on this Lambert thing because, of course, I think we both shared the view that Lambert was actually a very good manager when appointed. Well, I'm, I, I wanted to and make the point he's that disappointed us. That you know how, like, the, you know the whole like mic drop thing. When you've made a really good point. Interestingly, when when Cass finished his first opening statement just before James's rebuttal in that little tête-à-tête, he lifted Cass lifted up his t-shirt and kind of rubbed his stomach, <laughs> which is obviously a Cascarino kind of announcement of triumph. It's a sign. No, of, it's not. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, no, it's not at all. Don't you rub your own tummy for good luck before you go and gamble? No, I'm not no? Winnie the Pooh. Okay, just 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 wondering. <laughs> but but Gab, look. It, you talk about the game yesterday and you thought, oh, Tim Sherwood said this and it's a typical press inspired. Is it? If you look at the game, the game's based on two goalkeeping, a wonderful save by Shea Given and an absolute mm. howler by Mark Swartz. So they're, they're the two. That's the difference between clubs. That, that's the difference with yesterday and the scoreline. Oh, you, know, right. you can say what you want at half-time, full-time at the beginning, but that's, that's the fine. But it's a nice on, narrative, isn't it? On, just on Lambert. I, I, I did think he was a good manager at Norwich. I, so like, the I. Way that, the, like the way that his teams changed shape and he changed he kind of changed the approach during games, which isn't something you see that often, certainly in England. I think that, that James is right to an extent. I think he was hamstrung a little bit in the transfer market, but he did, he did spend more money than he kind of argued that he did. The thing that's baffled me the most in the last week has been this idea, this, this constantly repeated refrain of Aston Villa have got a good squad. They don't. They have some really average players, which is his fault. But the other thing about Lambert that's really interesting is normally when a manager loses a job, we assume that they'll walk back into another job at some point because it's a merry-go-round. But because of the way that he lost his job and that, that, that stigma of being boring, I think Lambert might really struggle to get another decent job. Should we talk about Villa's issues? Is it as simple as Cass' success for Tim Sherwood is keeping... Villa up this season and then we see I mean are you happy with the appointment as a guy with Villa ties um, would terrible Tim have been your choice I quite enjoyed the way that Tim handled Tottenham did he get the Tottenham job a bit too early probably yes but I thought he took it on his shoulders his broad shoulders and you know and anybody's Sorry, too early because not in terms of age but because he hasn't well, worked over, his way up the ranks well it's yeah exactly he was in the coaching staff there for a while yeah he was but I, I felt as a first job Tottenham's are very big to be given the first job in management you know you normally need your stripes uh, lower down and maybe a club in championship and shown his potential but I think Tim Tim doesn't shirk anything if you met Tim you, you certainly I know have, I have I yeah. actually 
Tim well, Wilderman. And, and Tim doesn't. He once not, pocket dialed me. Well, whatever he done to you, I don't know. But he, he um, that's, not a se- I, that's not a sexual euphemism. <laughs> I think he'll look forward to the challenge at Villa. I think he'll excite. Can I jump in here? This year, I, I, I think I, I needed that. I sense a rant coming on. Okay. A rant? Yes. From By who? From, from I hate it when people say things like, oh, I think you'll look forward to the job. Of course you'll look no, forward to the no, job. We took Deb. the job. Why I mean, else would I mean there's I'm a challenge you, for him. Th- I, I, I'm sure he looks forward to the challenge, but these are yeah. all empty words. You think he's, he's, he's a good choice for That's Villa? Not, uh, um, do Castorino I? versus Marcotta. No, no, I'm not. I'm, yeah, I'm just... I do. I think it's exactly what Villa need. I think they need someone with broad shoulders come in, not care about reputations and not care about what other people think he's going to be. Tim's Tim's that sort of guy. He's always overachieved as a player. Tim wasn't that great of a footballer, but he always played in successful teams. He was a real leader at the clubs he was at. And I think he'll go there with a similar attitude as a manager. And I think it's exactly what Villa need now. And I think he'll keep them up. And I'm sure he'll have his team plan in a manner to win football matches. And I know you, that's like, mate, you say, well, that's an obvious. But a lot of managers can't win football manage, uh, matches, can, can they? So I think he, I think he's capable. I really think it's the right appointment for Villa right now. James, I, I want to get your take on this because, as I say, I'm, I actually like Tim Sherwood. I, I know him uh, a, a little bit. He strikes me as one of those footballers who, certainly in terms of intelligence, is way above average. I don't, I didn't quite understand some of the things, some of the choices he made at Spurs. I admired some of the other choices he made, but it strikes me that there's certain managers who learn a lot and learn very quickly from their experiences and perhaps some of the mistakes that they've made. Are you as gung ho uh, about his appointment as, as Cass and I are? No, probably not. Yeah, I think he was. I think he's probably a better player than Cass gives him credit for. I, I thought he was quite a good, uh, steady midfield player. I think he's a very co- confident person. I think he's got that sort of cockney kind of arrogance, which you probably need to become a manager. But is he qualified? He, he's, his record is 27 games as a manager. That, that's all he has. And he's been linked with every job. I, I just find that why, why is he being linked with every job when he's only. His only managerial experience is three months as a manager. I'd suggest he, part of the things are, one is he's incredibly cheap, not in the sense that he's a stingy person, mm. but but he did not demand, uh, I was kind of surprised. Well, rumours will have it that he didn't get other jobs because he wanted too much money, Cap. Yeah, I, you know what, I, I don't, I can't speak for the other rumours, but I, I have a, I have a fairly good picture of the Villa situation, and I right. think is very attractive to... Do, do, would, would you would you be fair to say that you it's almost impossible now to work your way up the league as a manager? So if he starts lower down, he goes into yeah, League One, you know what? and this he does is what Phil old... Parkinson's doing at Bradford yeah. now. Mm. He, he would just get stuck there. He wouldn't. He would never find himself in the Premier League unless he got to a club and they got promoted and he had to go that way. He mm. would never be able to get a manager. You know, he's, in the space of a year, he's managed two very very big clubs. What, what qualifies someone to be a manager these days, Rory? You get the last word on Terrible Tim and Villa. I think Villa's a better club for him in terms of where he's at in his managerial development as than, than Spurs is. Uh, I don't think he is maybe the manager he thinks he is yet. Could be, I suppose. The thing that's always annoyed me about Sherwood a little bit is his apparent refusal to drop down and take a, like a Brighton or a Norwich because he obviously feels as though he should be a Premier League manager. Listen, good luck to him. You know, I, I, I wish him well, you know. On that, I think the reason why he didn't get the QPR is because they, they, they felt there was very, a lot of similarities between him and Harry, the yes. way he managed. I just I just think it's something fresh about Tim. I, I, I quite enjoyed the way he handled Tottenham. I think, I really I think he's think... probably what Villa need at this point. I think it will probably, he'll keep yeah. them up. 
whether he is the man to build long term, I don't know, but that may not matter because the big problem at Villa is not who the manager is, it's who the owner is. Well, do you have a problem with Randy Lerner? Well, I, th- I think the way that the whole, the future of the club has been handled is ridiculous, yeah. Lerner needs to have some sort of long term planning at Villa for that club to go anywhere, and it's a real shame what's happening. Lambert had to go, no question about that. He went too late, should have gone sooner. Lerner needs to make a decision about what he wants to do with Aston Villa. Okay, so. By now, we're all kind of bored with it because we sort of take it for granted. But uh, three years ago, uh, the Premier League signed this absurdly huge domestic TV deal, an uplift of 70% over the previous deal. And people said, wow, this is kind of unsustainable. Next time around, there may be a modest increase or it'll be flat and it'll still be a huge amount of money. Instead, what happens? It's another 70% rise over the previous deal. I guess this is driven by this insano competition between BT Sport and, um, and Sky. I might add, though, it's also driven by the fact that Richard Scudamore he must be ridiculously clever at negotiating. And the reason I point this out is this. You can, there's seven packages available. Nobody can have more than five of the seven, which basically means if you're BT Sport, you end up with two of the seven. You could have kind of just sat on your behind and gotten two of the seven for a lot cheaper. Or you could have colluded with Sky so that you both get the deal a lot cheaper. And yet this doesn't happen, which makes me think that Scudamore is more clever than the people he's negotiating with. I find this a fascinating subject, Gab, because the auction for the Premier League TV rights doesn't follow the normal rules of economics. The the dynamic of it is fascinating. It may well be that Scudamore is brilliant. You can't fault the Premier League for the job they do. But you're right that it should be in the interest of the... The broadcaster's interest is in getting, theoretically, should be in getting the TV, the the product, the content, for as little money as possible. That is how everything works. That is how market economies work. That is their interest. But it's not, and it's not because the more money they sink into football, the perception seems to be the more glamorous the Premier League becomes, the more more of a sort of super-powered soap opera it is, the better the players are, theoretically, which means that their product that they get becomes more valuable which means that they sell more advertising and sell more subscriptions and more broadband packages or whatever it is they're trying to sell at the moment, which means that they get more money, which means that the more they invest, the more they make. Which is a very strange strange economy. That would seem reasonable. In fact, that's probably not what's happening. I mean, certainly... It's not as if Sky Sports subscribers went up 70% after they... Uh, well, no, but this in is, fact, they remain flat. That's this, what is, doesn't... this is what's fascinating. So they are spending 27% of all of the money that is spent on producing television in the UK, all television, for 0.5% of the viewers. So it really makes no sense. It makes literally no sense. Is it sustainable? It's a good question. Um, I actually wrote a column about this for, for, for the Wall Street Journal. I, the, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a telecoms TV analyst. I, I, I would assume that Sky, having lost the Champions League, have more money available. And um, more, more existential need to have the Premier League. By the same token, BT Sports spent their money on the Champions League, so, so, so they get the, the two packages. I, I don't see how the next rights deal can be, the next domestic rights deal can be this big. And By the way, uh, there's a lot of confusion about this. Let's be very clear about this. This is the domestic rights deal for the UK and Ireland. Ireland, right? So it's got nothing to do with the Premier League's massive global popularity, massive branding. Uh, they do ridiculously well on that. I think by their estimates, they're going to make about $3 billion in that three-year period from global rights, which is completely, you know, insane, off the charts, and well done to them for the way they market the game. But simply domestically, spending $5 billion, I mean, I think Rory put those numbers out, is absolutely, absolutely extraordinary. Well, consider the viewing figures as well, that, that even for, I think, and, it, and if this is wrong, I, I'm happy for Sky or, or BT to correct me, I think for a really big game, a, a sort of Grand Slam Super Sunday, Sky get about 2.5 million viewers. And BT's best figures so far, they are newer, and obviously their, their networks aren't quite as established. 
they've they've hit I think they've tipped a million a couple of times for big games. It's not a lot of people. That just isn't in viewing figures. That's not a lot of people. Yeah. Well, and I might add, for example, you put those figures um, in the U.S. Uh, NBC, who has the rights and who paid, I think, something in the region of twenty million pounds a year for big games. They get a million. You know, which, which kind of puts things in context. Seemingly, the TV companies act like football clubs. You know, like the way they spend and they, the salaries they pay and they overpay to a limit of in, incredible. This and, is Tony Castrino of, of, Sky, of Sky Sports. No, but it, it just amazes me that they they do it. And I mean, James will probably tell probably a similar thing. I can remember wages and every decade, we all the group who played before would always say we never earn like you get now. And every decade, right. the, the salaries are so much higher and so much more, and yet we never think that's going to... We always say that has to end. But TV deals are exactly the same. We're saying exactly the same things as football wages, where we're going, well, it can't be the same next time round, or it can't be as big. And yet they always seem to go much bigger I than we imagine. I mean, I the difference but Cash, you're looking at, if this, it will go ahead, you're looking at the new deal. So a club like Burnley this year... Will will grow to sort Absolute, of 150, yeah. 160 million, mm. which maybe 70 percent will be wages. Play, players in the bottom five or six now in the Premier League be earning 250, 300 thousand pounds a week. <laughs> well, I, I'm not. <laughs> James, we better get our boots on, mate. Well, I'm not sure it's going to. It's going to quite reach that level for, for for a number of reasons, including one very specific reason that uh, I actually tweeted out the Premier League handbook. Uh, last night, uh, if you really want to be bored, it's 400 plus pages. But there's a bit in there about the Premier League's financial fair play, and that puts restrictions on the amount that clubs can play can pay in wages. I'm going to put this: it, it restricts the amount that they can increase their wage bill by, unless they also increase their commercial revenue. And I think part of the idea here, in addition to keeping to trying to control wages a little, is to stop a free rider situation uh, with a club like Burnley. In other words, where, where, where they get up, you know, Burnley obviously do not contribute their share to the to the, to the Premier League TV rights because of their audience and whatever, and they just kind of go and blow all their money on, on, on wages. And so I, I think the Premier League are aware of this, or the Premier League owners are aware of this, and, and they want the money to be used for other purposes and maybe ultimately to make clubs more more attractive to to owners but i have to raise this issue because this happens like clockwork every time i mean you guys I invite you guys all to, to read science column there's people like like my, my buddy david khan who've made the opposite arguments about money into grassroots football and whatever to me if we talk about spending on grassroots football and playing fields and council and playing fields and 3g pitches and all this stuff it's up to the politicians to do this. It's up to your local politicians, you, the guys you vote in and say, hey, you know, Joe Bloggs from Labour or Conservatives, I will vote you in if you build a council pitch here in my, you know, if, if that's what's important to you. It's not about going to, to, to the Premier League and saying the Premier League has to build these public pitches. Not so much, I think ticket prices are one thing, Gab, that, that needs to come down if you're going to get all this money, but also, you know, for example, I um, live in a town, Bury St Edmunds, which I'm sure you know, Gab, being a your geography as well. I think it's the largest town in the country that doesn't have a full-size 3G pitch. I don't think the Premier League clubs have a duty to, to build 3G pitches. I think the two issues that have to be looked at in terms of their, their charitable giving are ticket prices, which, strictly speaking, shouldn't have to come down because the stadiums are almost full. It's a market, so the clubs have got a right to charge what they like. We don't expect that sort of social responsibility to, to apply to any other company in the in the country, so football clubs shouldn't really be an exception. But I think there is, there is a, an argument that ticket prices should be frozen, at least. The, the contributions lower down the leads, which are already higher 
than than they are in a lot of other countries. Although, as Oliver Kay made the point on Saturday, um, that's because in a lot of other countries, the government and the councils do a lot more than they do here. But I think the um, contributions lower down the leads have to go up. They should be they should run at the five percent mark that they are stated as being by the Premier League. In terms of the the building of grassroots grassroots pitches, it's not their it's not their responsibility. It's not their job. It's I guess it's private enterprise delivering the government and local and national from their own failings. It makes sense for those clubs on a number of levels, not not least recruiting new fans, to go and go out into their communities and build those bonds through pitches. Well, Rory, if you was at Sellers Park, you would have seen the sort of, I wouldn't call it a demonstration, but the banner that yeah. the, the Homesdale fanatics had regarding ticket prices and greed and this, that and the other. What did it say? Stop did Premier Greed. The, it said the greed has to stop now, and then it had this big, fat... Pig. A banker pig. Yeah. And I think it's a rather sort of an arrogant attitude to say that, that you know clubs don't have a right to, to lower prices and this, that and the other. I, Gab will tell you, I, I'm a match-going fan that pays to go and watch football and there is people are getting really, really annoyed, really frustrated oh, well, with I, James, prices James, and the way they're I, getting treated at the I, I'm not, I'm not, I, There is obviously... It, reducing prices is, is obviously the right thing to do. I'm just saying that if you apply the laws of the market, the clubs can, can, can say... Well, the stadiums that, that's fair enough, but if you, if you go to most Premier League football games games now the atmosphere is very sterile of course yeah it's you know almost like going to watch a cinema now it's it's a tourist attraction a lot of Premier League grounds well you say that but I remember watching the film Alexander in Buenos Aires and when Alexander and Patroclus his lover and ally kissed the entire cinema booed to me, going to the cinema involves interacting with the screen. It doesn't bother me when people do it. Really, uh, it's a it's a it's a big issue. I, I, I think it's a cultural issue. I mean, where I went to university in 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 West Philadelphia, um, born and raised. There, there's exactly <laughs> there, there, there's a, on a playground where I spent most of my days. Now, um, there, there, there's all the, the, the there's a black community there, and, and at least the, the people who went to the cinema that I went to, they often shout. I remember watching a hand that rocks the cradle, and they're like, "No, don't open that room! Oh, you stupid white bitch!" I'll f- you know, like, this was this was a thing. I don't even like people laughing at funny films in the cinema. I think they should keep it to themselves. I, I mean, Scully, to me, the, the main issue is how do we get people used to going to football and how do we make it accessible to people so that, you know, the Premier League, I think, has the oldest fan, oldest average age of any fans in Europe? Well, it's correct. If you, if you go to a, a Premier League game now, it, it, the crowd is older. The, if you're, you know, 15, 16, 17 and, and with your mates, you can't go and watch a Premier League football match. A, you can't get a ticket. You can't afford to go get your ticket so these youngsters go elsewhere I think there needs to be more community outreach to keep the bonds together between the place that nurtures and nourishes the club and the club itself in whatever form that takes there was a paper published last year I think that was to do with like 20 different people from different scheme different areas of life who envisioned what the world would be like in 2050 and in one of them or 2052 maybe in one of them the football clubs were actually were, were actually because they were so profitable. They'd become providers of, edu- of education, and they'd become kind of social enterprises in a, in a very different way to the way th- we, we think of them now. That is possibly something that should be explored. Okay, enough of this nonsense. Time now for some quick hits. Possibly the best cup tie of the weekend, and nobody got to see it. Rory, why wasn't Bradford versus Sunderland on my television, especially given that it was on a Sunday and it was not interfering with your precious 3 o'clock Saturday blackout? The BBC and BT picked their games before the replays of the previous round. Yeah, I heard that. But you know what? So it would have been Bradford-Fulham, which I can understand. 
and ultimately they, they be, they, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't because they, they to an extent they do have to show the big teams is that they're the teams that people want to watch they, they no. have to show Arsenal and Liverpool and Manchester United and what have you um, it is a shame that they didn't have the foresight to say we can make at least one of the picks Bradford, I also think you could possibly do something whereby more games are on television. Exactly. That, 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 that's the ultimate point. It's absolutely ridiculous that people put up with this absolute this absolute nonsense. I, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to get a 3 o'clock backup. This really, really upsets me and offends me. And it's not really fair to Bradford either. Gus Poyet got a bit of stick from the Sunderland faithful who sang, it's always our fault. He appears to be blaming the media for stoking fires after reporting uh, his comments that their expectations were too high. Scoey, where do you sit on this one? I think if you follow Gus Poyer, he does have a tendency to, um, it's everybody else's fault, bar his own. His team's just been knocked out by a team from League One. I think you've got to take it on the chin and, and move on. All right, so Sunderland fans, your expectations are not too high. No. Four seasons ago, Yakubu Ayikbeni was the third leading goal scorer in the Premier League, even though nobody remembers this. He was 29 years old, yet nobody showed any interest in him. And off he went with his suitcase to China. And then later he went on to Qatar, where he played for Al Rayyan. Now he's back for Reading, scoring the winner against Derby County. That would be Steve McLaren's Derby County. Cass, this story warms my heart. Why were people so stupid to let to let him go? Well, I think the yak's got to something to do with it. I mean, he's obviously gone to China for a shed load of money and Qatar. So um, I would suggest that he probably chose to leave the Premier League. Yeah, but relative to some of the muppets who make a lot of money in the Premier League. Yeah, well, think? there's a. I think because of his age, where he went to, he was 29 years old when he. But left. he chose to go there, Gab. You know, and I think it's it's to do with financial. Louis van Gaal's Manchester United play tonight against Preston. It's entirely possible by the time you listen to this, they'll be in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. But Rory, we can't let his extraordinary. We are not a long ball tirade stroke symposium pass without comment. Your thoughts? I think he made a lot of valid points about the difference between the sort of stereotypical long ball and the more more acceptable long pass. I think there's no question, however you, you frame it, that Manchester United are playing with a distinct lack of vim and vigour at the moment, and that's something Van Gaal should be able to address. Uh, I'm troubled by the fact that they seem to want to spend a lot more money in the summer, given that he's meant to be one of the world's best coaches. You should have seen some, of him, some improvement in the players. Um, and I think it's unfair to suggest that the British media don't understand tactics. We probably don't understand tactics as well as Louis van Gaal. Tony Pulis says West Brom romp past West Ham 4-0 and Big Sam gets a lot of stick. Scoey, why were the Hammers so bad? Well, apparently they uh, had a game in midweek which they couldn't handle and they're very, very tired, which uh, surprised a little bit because uh, they haven't played half as many games as uh, some of the teams and that was his excuse. I think bad day at the office, really, against a very well-organised West Brom on the up. Josh King has scored one goal all season, uh, but then he goes and he gets a hat-trick as Blackburn pummels Stoke 4-1. Cass from one big centre forward to another, not quite as big, but definitely a large man, uh, Josh King. Uh, how do you explain this turnaround? I don't know, Gab. I mean, look, he gives an opportunity, he takes it, he plays like a world-beater on, on a day where all season he struggled. And um, I think for Josh King, it's... He's got to find that if he can do it, he's got to find that he can do it again. Um, strange, strange when players do that. Uh, it, randomly to, get hat tricks. To be fair, Blackburn it, have two very good yeah. centre forwards, don't they? Does well, it count loads. as a hat trick if the second and third goals are exactly the same goal? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. We should, should deduct some points for there that. Was a, it was it was a proper like it was proper like cartoon taper stuff. To, like the defense, the Stoke defense just chasing him and being unable to catch him yeah. on the third one. It's fantastic. Gab, I have a question for you. Paris Saint Germain play Chelsea on uh, mardi. What kind of weekend did they or fin de semaine did they have? 
Very nice. <laughs> uh, an absolutely horrid one, because there they are. It's looking good. They're, they're, they're playing con at, at, at home. They figure that, you know, they'll get three points. Yohan Kabai, they, they score immediately with Slatan. Yohan Kabai then gets injured, but that's all right. It's only Yohan Kabai. They're actually playing pretty well. They're 2-0 up, and then the bottom falls out. Everybody gets hurt. Marquinhos gets hurt. Uh, Blas Matuidi gets hurt, has to come off. Uh, Serge Aurier gets hurt. Uh, Lucas Moura gets hurt. They end up again the game with um, with only nine men on the pitch and Khan scored two goals in the final two minutes, one of them possibly with uh, with a handball and long and short of it, uh, it's um, bloody Valentine for Laurent Blanc. Can't they do it? No they can't. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's all we've got time for this week. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes and Player FM for Android, please do so now. Uh, many thanks to my guest today, Rory K. Smith Tony Cascarino, who has rolled his sleeves up. That's kind of cool. You're looking all summery, Tony. He looks like Jason Priestley from Beverly Hills. (laughs) You do. You you look like like Jason Priestley's dad. Like he's gone to seed. I was going to say Jason Donovan for a minute. (laughs) And, of course, down the line from his fancy pile in Bury St. Edmunds. Check out thetimes.co.uk on your digital device. Remember, members get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of their subscription. If you're not a member yet, you can take our one-pound digital trial today. Just search Timesport online. Till next week, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.